Well, I want you to open your Bibles with me today to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3 today. It's a passage that uh, is part of a book that we find towards the back part of the New Testament that was written uh, in about the mid-first century, around 50 to 60 A.D., We don't really know who wrote it, even though many people believe Paul was the writer of this book. And in fact, it wasn't until about the fourth century when Eusebius began to cast doubt on the fact that Paul was the one who wrote this. We don't really know who wrote it. Here's what we do know. We know that the Holy Spirit inspired it. And we know the purpose of this book very clearly was to speak to a group of first century Jewish believers who had heard the gospel, who had been transformed by the gospel, who were following Christ, but as a result of persecution, as a result of challenge, as a result of of problems that they were facing, they were beginning to fall away from their faith. They were beginning to move away from their faithfulness, to kind of walk away from being fully committed, totally committed to the picture of and the promise of the gospel. And so we know that this book, while it was important then, it's important now. Because those same things are true today. Those same challenges are, are being faced today. We talked about that a moment ago. We talked about it last week and the, the persecuted Christians all around the world, people who are walking through the dynamics of being attacked for, opposed for their faith. And so we know that there are people today who are having that same kind of challenge, that same kind of difficulty, and that we must understand that, that God has given us this book, this, this passage through that we're going to walk through today and, and the chapters that surround it, like very clearly targeted at you and me to help us stay committed in our faith and committed in our walk to Jesus Christ. And so that is what we're going to be talking about. This book was written, again, to to help them to stay focused, to help them to make sure they're doing the right thing. And and ultimately, this book, the the entire theme of this book was really to kind of underscore and to focus on the superiority of Christ. That Christ is the one that, that we must depend on, that we must lean on, that, that, that gives us everything that we need. It goes back to that John chapter 14, verse 6, that He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Him. That is the message of really this entire book. And so when you go into Hebrews chapter 1, right out of the gate, right in chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2, it says, like, like in the old days... Like God spoke through the prophets, God spoke through the Abrahams and the Moses and the Joshuas and the Elijahs and the Elishas and all of the ones who came before. Like God spoke through them. It talks about how God revealed himself in those days. But then it says in verse 2, but now he speaks through his son. And so right up front in this book in Hebrews chapter 1, it makes the case like, like that's the way we used to do it. That's the way that we used to hear from God. That's the way that we used to get His message and get His declarations. But now, now, because He has sent His Son, Jesus, it is Jesus who speaks that He is the final word, the final revelation of God in our time. And so we understand the purpose of this book, to talk about the superiority of Christ. Chapter 2 talks about what, what Christ went through, what He did to pay for our sins, to be the propitiation for our sins. You move into chapter 3 that we're going to get into in just a few moments, and you, and you see the, the, the power of the commitment that we must have to follow Christ. Chapter 4, it's where we find that passage in verse 12, that the Word of God is living and it is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It talks about the importance of and the, 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 the power of the Word of God. 
It's also in chapter 4 that we find the passage that tells us that we can boldly run to Him whenever we face challenges and when we face trials, when we face opposition and situations where we don't know what to do, that we can boldly run to Him. That's an important statement because, again, in the old days, remember this was written to first century Jewish Christians, people who had followed the, the traditions of their fathers and their grandfathers and their forefathers, where everything had to go through the high priest, that everything had to happen at the temple. And now verse, uh, chapter 4 tells us, no, 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 you can run boldly to him. What a powerful statement. You continue reading all the way through the superiority of Christ is talked about over and over again, all the way until you get up into chapters 11 and 12 when it begins to talk about the, the importance of those Old Testament believers, those Old Testament uh, prophets who, who were just people of faith and how God used them to do incredible things and how it is through faith that they did what they did, uh, underscoring the importance of faith in our own lives. But today we're going to spend a little bit of time in a unique part of this passage in chapter 3 that is not aimed so much at the superiority of Christ. It's not aimed so much at the faith of of Old Testament uh, believers. It's uh, focused clearly on one very important group of people, and that's us. That chapter 3, the first part of this chapter, is very clearly focused at each and every one of us, and the message is just kind of simple. Basically, guys, stay committed. Stay committed to your walk with Christ. Stay committed in your journey. Stay committed in your faith. And so, right out of the front here in chapter 3, in verse 1, let's read this passage. Let's get a picture of exactly what it is that the writer is writing here so that they can understand, like, why it's so important. And so, in verse 1, chapter 3, it says these words. It says, My holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Now, I want to pause right there. If you've got your Bibles open, or if you're watching, you know, doing this on a phone or iPad or whatever it might be, you ought to either underline or highlight or circle or something. Those two statements there, those two descriptions of Christ, apostle and high priest. And the reason for that is this, is that is a, a kind of clear description or a definition of who Jesus is in each and every one of our lives. That He serves not only as an apostle, He serves as high priest. Why is that important? What's the distinction between the two? Well, the apostle is the idea, going back again to first century, that the apostle was the representative of God to the people. And so it says here that Jesus is the representative of God to you and me. He's the one that we hear from about God. It's the one that we hear from about the nature of God. It's who we hear from about what God wants us to do and the path that He wants us to take. It's who we hear from God on how we're to live our lives. So He serves, Jesus serves as that apostle, that representative of God. But then it goes on to say that He's also our high priest. And that statement, our high priest, is a picture that He is also our representative to God. You see, Jesus serves in a dual role. He serves as the representative sent from God to talk to us, but now He is literally sent from us to God, because where does it say Jesus is in God's Word? It says that today He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He's ever making intercession for you and me. He is praying for you and for me. So He is our representative to God. Do you see the distinction of why that's so important? And again, the importance of the role that Jesus plays in the life of the believer. He brings God's Word to us, but He brings our words to God. And so, the writer continues on. He is the apostle 
and the high priest of our confession. He goes on to say, he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all God's household. It goes on to say in verse 3, for Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now, every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household as a testimony to what God would, uh, what, 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 sorry, what would be said in the future. So, Moses was faithful as a servant in the household of God, in God's household. Now, I want to stop here for a moment before we continue moving on to make sure we understand here the, the kind of the connection that the writer is making here between Jesus and Moses. Remember, he's writing to first century Jewish believers. He's writing, uh, talking about this man, Moses, that all of those people in that time would have looked back to as the one who gave the law, the one who delivered the traditions that they had followed, the one who came down off of the mountain with the tablets that said, this is how you're to live with all the laws that were given. They were very clearly described how it was that Jewish people were to live their lives and what they were to do in those days. That was Moses. Moses had a very important role in the life of uh, of first century Jewish people. And so he makes it clear that Moses was one to be honored, but Jesus was to be honored more than Moses. He uses that description there. He talks about, you know, that, that, that Moses was certainly faithful and certainly was someone, but, but understand it's not the person, it's not the house that it's honored, it's the person who builds the house. The, the distinction he's giving here is that Moses was like the house that God built, but Jesus is the one who built it. And then he goes on to say that statement in verse 5, and this is where we kind of jump into our discussion for today. It says that Moses was faithful as a servant in the household of God. And so what that brings us to as we move on to verse 6 is a very clear statement of kind of what the writer is trying to make here. And the first statement that he wants us to understand is that God's promises are absolute. The promises of God are something you can count on. So let's look at verse 6, the first part of that verse, and it says this, but Christ was faithful as a son over his household. Now again, remember, Verse 5, Moses was faithful as a servant in the household. Now verse 6, but Jesus is faithful as the son over the household. So the idea is like, like Moses was in, he was a servant in the household, but Jesus was over it. Jesus is the one who created it. Jesus is the one to be honored here. That Jesus is the one who has built everything that there is. That He is the one that gives us the the leading that we need, the guidance that we need, the direction that each and every one of us need. The idea here is that Christ's promises are absolute. Moses was a servant. He was someone to be honored, someone to, you know, read about and to learn from, and, and obviously to help us guide us in our journey and in our faith, absolutely. But... Remember, he's writing to people who are falling away from their faith, people who are struggling to stay committed and stay focused. And he's saying, but listen, don't lose sight of the fact that while Moses was awesome, Jesus is the one who created Moses to give them the understanding right up front. Again, the superiority of Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. That He's the Son that we must recognize, that He, the Son that we must focus on, the Son that we must like lean into in our journey, in our walk with Christ, and that you can count on His Word. Christ's promises are absolute. But in the second part of verse 6, He goes on to tell us that while Christ's promises are absolute, our commitment is not. 
So again, go back to this statement. Christ is uh, faithful as a son over his household. But then the second part of verse 6 says this, and we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which, uh, in which we boast. That word if is the key word. You should circle it, underline it, highlight whatever it is. Why? Because it tells us like, like the Christ is faithful as a son of God within the household, within the house of God, and that we are that household, but then that statement, if. Like, like there's a choice. Like there's a chance you could mess it up. There's a chance you could go the wrong direction. Now, it's important to see in the second part of verse 6 when it says that we are that household, again, this is drawing a very clear line in the sand between what once was and what now is. Remember, in the Old Testament, what was the household of God? Can somebody tell me what was the household of God in the Old Testament? Can anybody yell it out to me? The temple, absolutely right. That was the household of God, right? They built the temple. That's where God resided. You go all the way back to the tabernacle, the, the, you know, the cloud of day, uh, the, cloud of, um, the cloud by day and the, and the fire by night, that, that was there to represent the presence of God in that place. That's where God resided. They built the temple. They built the Holy of Holies there. The Ark of the Covenant was there in the midst. Where did God reside? He resided in that place. And the high priest could go into that place once a year as the representative of the people to bring their petitions and to bring their sins before God and the presence of God to be forgiven for their sins. That's why they made their sacrifices. That was the household of God in the Old Testament. But now the writer of Hebrews is saying, but because of Christ, that Christ is faithful as the son over that household, that now we are that household. In other words, we are the household of God. That we are where God resides. That because of what Christ has done, everything has changed. Again, remember, he's trying to make the very clear distinction between what once was and now what is because of Jesus. But then he uses that simple two-letter word to make sure that people understand that there is something that we must do. Yes, Christ's promises are absolute. Our commitment is not. Yes, Christ is faithful as the Son of God over His household. Yes, we are His household now. If we will remain committed, if we will stay focused on what it is that God has called us to do, if we will continue in the path that God has called us. And then he goes right into this next passage of verse 7. And in verse 7, he begins to give us a, a, a statement, a quote, if you will, from Psalm 95. He pulls it forward. Again, from the Old Testament, because this is what they knew. This was their tradition. This is how they lived. And so he writes these words, quoting Psalm, the Psalms. He says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in his wilderness, where your ancestors tested me and tried me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation. And I said, they always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. In those verses from verse 7 to 11, you ought to underline, highlight the two statements. The one there in verse 8, do not harden your hearts. And then uh, later in verse 10, therefore, I was provoked to anger. Now, this passage is referencing back again to Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. He delivered them from their captivity. He delivered them from their slavery. And what happened when he did? 
You remember that Moses was led by God and, and was empowered by God to lead them away from Pharaoh, to lead them away from those years of captivity. And as he led them away, they came out to the Red Sea. And when they got to the Red Sea, what did God do in that place? He parted the Red Sea, right? I mean, this is like VeggieTales stuff. You get this, right? He parted the Red Sea. And then they walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. And all of the people of Israel, even though they were being pursued by the enemy, pursued by the armies, they, they crossed over that Red Sea on the, the seabed on dry ground. They got to the other side. And even though they were still being pursued, what did God do next? Come on, people, you've watched VeggieTale. What did they do next, right? The waters came back, right? And when the waters came back, the, ar the army that was pursuing them was completely covered and completely destroyed, and they were protected. But what this passage tells us in quoting the book of Psalms is this, is that even when they got across the Red Sea, after they had seen all that God had done when they're there and they're journeying there in the wilderness, heading towards the promised land, heading towards the fulfillment of what God promised to give to them, the rest that they longed for, the rest that they had been promised, that they hardened their hearts towards God. They began to believe that they had it better back in Egypt than they have it now. They did exactly what those in the first century were doing. They were looking back to what once was and thinking, well, that was a better plan than what I've got now. And don't we do the same thing? Don't we so often in our journeys, in our lives, we look back and think, man, it was easier before. It's too hard because people are attacking me. It's too hard because people are opposing me. Man, I spend time on social media and Twitter and Facebook and all the, and man, people attack me because of my faith. And man, it was easier back before. It was easier doing it back then because nobody came after me. Nobody criticized me. Nobody laughed at me. You see, the writer of Hebrews is speaking truth. It's like, hey, the people in Israel, like they hardened their hearts towards God. In fact, there's a great description of what that statement hardened really means. Thomas Thomas uh, Lee says it this way, hardening the heart takes place whenever someone rejects God's call or His instructions. That any time that someone like you and like me hears the call of God and we ignore or reject that calling or we ignore or reject the instructions that He gives to us on how that we are to live when there's disobedience in our lives towards God, that that is described as hardening the heart. And I think probably if I went around the room and asked the question of everybody here, has anybody here ever hardened your heart towards God with that description in mind? Everybody in this room would have to say, yeah, I've done that. Let's be honest. We've all done that, of ignoring, of I'm going to kill myself up here, of ignoring, of rejecting the instructions of God and the plans of God. Like, we've done that, right? And that's so what he's saying here, do not harden your heart. Why? Because verse 10 goes on to say, because that will stoke my anger towards them. In that passage, it says that we just read, I was provoked to anger, the Holy Spirit said. And of course, you know what he did with those in the wilderness, right? Because of their rejecting of God, because they rejected God's plan, because they disobeyed God, they grumbled in the wilderness, that God told Moses and Moses told them, you're not going to see the promised land, right? Like every one of you as an adult, like, like I've promised you, but you're not going to actually see it. Your children, they will see it. I'm going to come through my promises because it's absolute, but you're not going to see it because you have disobeyed me. That's what it says in the last part of this passage. They will not see my 
rest, that rest that came through the fulfillment. There are people today within churches all around the world who will not see God's best because you have not been committed to God's plan. There are people all around the world today sitting in churches just like this one that are just like the people of Israel many years ago who, because you are rejecting or ignoring the call of God and the instructions of God, you will not see the rest of God or the best that God has for you because you're not willing to be all in. And so we have to understand like God has a plan for us. And so what we got to figure out and understand is this, is that what God expects is, is for us to stay committed to trusting God. To stay committed to trusting God. Look what it says in verse 12. Verse 12, watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And so he says, like, beware. Guys, be careful. Like, watch out. Keep your eyes open. Keep your ears open. Do not allow anything to happen in your life that will bring about an evil and an unbelieving spirit. Because remember, what happened to them back in the Old Testament, what once was, is they missed out on God's best because they allowed that evil, unbelieving spirit to build within them because they were not 100% committed to trusting God no matter what. And so we've got to understand, we've got to stay committed. Warren Wearsby said it this way, the emphasis in Hebrews is that true believers have an eternal salvation because they trust a living Savior who consistently intercedes for them. But the writer is careful to point out that this confidence is not an excuse for sin. We do not have an excuse for sin just because we have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because we have been forgiven and set free, that does not give us license or freedom or liberty to live however we want to live. We must stay committed to trusting God no matter what. How do we do that? Well, verse 13 goes on to tell us we must develop relationships that help us grow in our faith. Look what it says in verse 13. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is, here's that word again, hardened by sin's deception. Hardened. Remember we talked about what that means is when we reject or ignore the calling of God on our lives or the instructions that God gives to us. So it tells us, encourage each other daily. That's why it's so important that we gather. That's why it's so important that we spend time together. It's why it's so, so important that we study God's Word together, pray together, life groups together, serving together, living our Christian walks together. Why? Because isolation will always lead to separation. Isolation leads us to the place where we separate from God's people, and we separate from God's plan, and eventually we will separate from God's blessing. God did not intend for us to do that. He says, encourage each other daily. Which brings us to the next verse, which gives us a clear statement, and it's where we started, and it's where we'll end, that we're reminded once again that Christ's promises are absolute. His promises are absolute. Look what it says in verse 14. For, if, for, for we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. In other words, he's saying, listen, we have this great gift in the Son, Jesus Christ, that we've been given this incredible blessing because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. And His Word is absolute. You can count on it. You can depend on it. You can lean into it. You don't need to wonder. You don't need to question. You don't need to doubt. Like God is good at His Word. Christ will bring you through. And here's that word again, if. Because so many Christians today, we spend our time in the ifs of our faith. 
We spend our time in that place where we're not fully committed. We're, we're kind of like part-time Christians. And just so you know, like living the Christian walk is not a part-time job. It's a 24-7 job. You don't clock in on a Sunday morning and clock out at noon and expect Christ to be with you and to bless you and to use you to do incredible things. You see, it's a 24-7. You do not stop being a child of God when you walk out of the door. And so he says in verse 14, we are partakers, participants. We are connected to Christ if we hold firmly. I love what John Dungy said. He said, the Lord Jesus Christ is God's final word and man's only savior. Remember again, the whole purpose of this book is to point to the superiority of Christ to speak to a people who were falling away from rather than leaning into. That message was important 2,000 years ago. And that important message is still something we've got to lean into today. We cannot allow our lives to move away from what it is that God has called us to be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the word that you've given to us. We thank you for the challenge that you extend to us. We thank you for, Lord, the answers that you give. Lord, through your word, it's very clear how we're to live and what we're to do and where we're we're to go. And God, we thank you for giving it to us because God, we couldn't figure it out on our own. And so God, we're blessed that you have given a very clear set of descriptions and and definitions and instructions of, of how we're to do this thing called life as a follower of Christ. God, I just pray we'll be faithful. God, I pray we'll remain committed. And so the people gathered in this room today, Father, I pray you'd speak truth to them. I pray that you would encourage them. If there's someone here today that has never accepted you as Lord and Savior, I've never believed that Jesus is your son, that he died and that he rose again, and it is through him and him alone that we find our salvation, Father, I pray that today would be the day they make that decision. God, I pray for all of us in this room. Lord, if there's a point in our lives where we have fallen away, if there's a point in our lives where we've not remained committed, if there's a point in our life where we have literally hardened our hearts because we've ignored or rejected the call and the instructions of God, God, I pray that in this moment, we would get it right, we would confess it, and we would change it. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, in a moment, we're going to stand together, we're going to sing, the altar's open, our team is gathering. Wherever you are in this room, I think there might be someone here today that needs to meet Christ that needs to experience. We talk about the superiority of Christ. That idea is this, is that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. It is only through Jesus, period. You can't be good enough. You can't be smart enough. You can't have gone to church long enough to experience salvation. It is only through Christ. Maybe there's some people here today that need to come to this altar and rededicate your lives to him, to say, God, I'm sorry. I've not been 100% committed. I've been clocking in and clocking out. Like, I've not been all in. And remember this, if you're not 100% in, you basically are 100% out. There's not this picture of like, I can be a part-time Christian. That doesn't exist. And so maybe today you need to come to this altar, kneel here, and just pray, God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. And God, I change it today. Maybe you want to come and join our church. Maybe you want to come for baptism. Whatever it is that God is speaking to you today, I just encourage you right now, right here today, as we stand and as we sing these words, step out, make a decision, and allow God to change you from the inside out. Let's stand and let's sing. Zach, will you lead us?
today we thank you for being everything that we need. God, we are so blessed, so encouraged because we know that no matter what we face in today's life, in today's world, God, that you are our all in all, that you have all the answers. And so God, I pray that we would live, that we would walk, that we would experience the challenges of tomorrow, not from the lens of or from the position of someone who doesn't understand you, but God, someone who's leaning into the instructions and the call, the Word of God, so that we can be all that you've called us to be. Father, lead us and guide us. As we leave this place today, Father, I pray that you would help us to be 100% in, all in. God, that we would walk with you every single day, and that you would use us to bring hope and life and truth to the world that so desperately needs it. God, for that, we give you the praise. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our altar remains open. Our team is here. We'd love to talk with you. Come on down and speak with us now. God bless you, and have a great day. I want to thank you for joining us today. If you've never come to the place of recognition of being a sinner and needing a Savior, you can do so right now. Believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again to give you eternal life, just ask Him to save you today. If you would like to talk further about that and what God has done in the giving of His Son, Jesus, we'd love to chat with you. I would encourage you to email us at the address listed on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you and help you begin this brand new journey with Jesus Christ. If you would like to help contribute to our ministry, as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with this amazing message of God's love.